going on in the, the life of vintage and things to be in the loop about. I think first and foremost, how many of you have driven by the property? We have, if you don't know, if you're new at vintage, you have 48 acres of land, basically at Cedar Crest and 41. How many of you have driven by the property in the last week or so, seeing that we've done a lot of work out there? And so one of the things we're in the season of doing, we're still, we're still raising funds. If you want to drop a check for $2 million off the vintage, we can start our property and build out. That'd be great. Um, but no, we are still in the process though of actually getting our land ready. So we're doing land prep and the cool thing about land prep is we're basically getting everything ready. And so this is, you see the property here. We've, if you don't know, we did not, this has been manicured up here in the front. We have the grass coming down, a nice little, uh, little entryway coming in. You can turn the, turn to go to the next one. Yeah, this is just a beautiful picture looking all the way down. And so this is our entryway. So when you go by, here's the deal. Just feel free to drive down there. There'll probably be a little gate up and you can't go all the way in, but it's just like maybe like a 30 foot walk to get in then to the pad. So what we're doing is like we've finished out here, this beautiful entryway going all the way down. And then the pad where our like our building in time will be, it's going to be completely flattened out. We're going to have grass on it, so it's going to be a field that we can use with the parking lot along the side, right? And so in that, we're very excited because now we have a, our property usable. We can go out and do game nights with the students. We can go out and do worship nights. I will say once the grass all gets settled in, we are officially released. We're going to have a night of worship and prayer, like a little ice cream social out there. We can just go and go and hang out. I would say if you ever want to go out there and just drive up there and park and then go hang out, take your chairs, feel free to do that. There's amazing hiking trails that go all the way from like pines and then halfway back it turns into like beautiful old hardwoods and you just want a great walk, feel free to go out there. I would love to get out there. But when you go, all I ask you do is just pray while you're out there. Just pray for God's movement, pray for God's breakthrough, pray for God's direction. Again, we want you to get out there. We want you to see it and enjoy it. We're very excited about it, and so it should be fun. And, uh, yeah, so you can look for that. It'll be sometime when the temperature cools down before we do the nine out there, I'm just saying, right? But once we get there, we will go out and enjoy it. This is probably in the next month and a half, so we're excited about that. Second, if those of you who know and have been here, you know my wife who has been on staff at Vintage from the very beginning, planted Vintage uh, along with me. Uh, has t- is taking a six-month sabbatical from the life of Vintage. If you know Vintage, you know that's a big deal because when she stepped out, she left uh, um, like a document that had all of her roles and responsibilities on it, and it was six pages long, right? And so with her stepping out, it was a big hit for us. She said, if you're wondering, she took a six-month sabbatical for the purpose of just kind of recapturing her rhythm with God, right, because she was run super, super hard. Two, in finding that rhythm, saying, God, what do you have next for me in the life of vintage with some healthy rhythms and boundaries around it? And then three, to be honest with you, just as family, this time of healing. I don't know if you know this or not, but leadership and leadership in ministry sometimes can be really, really difficult because as the old saying goes, sheep bite. And so we've been bitten. She's been bitten a lot of times, a lot of times over the year. And because she's just a hard worker, she pulls her bootstraps up, pretends like nothing happened and keeps on going. And the reality is sometimes, as you all know, that catches up with you. And so I'm excited for this season. If you know Rand again, you know that she's struggling in this season. She hates to not be here on Sunday mornings because she goes, these are my people and this is my family. But for those of you who have reached out and encouraged her, thank you. Keep that up. For those of you who are praying for her, 
thank you very much and keep it up. And for those of you who like miss her, just let her know because that would mean the world to her. But with that, I want you to know that all the things that she was doing, we do have people who are stepping into those areas. And so this week, as in Tuesday... An email is going to go out from Vintage that basically highlights all the ministry areas that, that Randall was leading and now who was responsible for those. Because the goal is this. No one, none of us should be texting Randall ever to ask her about anything with Vintage. Okay, so none of us are ever texting her to ask her a question, to ask her anything. There is someone who is responsible for that area, and you can simply write them. They can get the answer for you, and then she can continue to go about the the act of the work of God's doing in her life. So, with that again, thank you for that. Look for that email on Tuesday. If you have questions along those lines. April is April. Raise your hand. April is right here. Knows almost as much as Randall does. And if you put Shannon together along with Ginger, the three of us can definitely come up with an answer or just make it up for you. So it'll be great. All right. Well, this morning, if you if you're here, we are at the very last week of our series, a little mini series we've called the Mind of Christ. And so this morning, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've taken. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, I think verses like 6 through 12, and we broke it down kind of verse by verse. The week before, we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and broke that down. This morning's going to be very, very different. This morning, I'm just going to let you know in advance, please don't stone me. I'm not going to open my Bible very much to read. What I'm actually going to give you this morning, but I very rarely do this, I'm going to give you nine practical steps that I literally said, what do I personally do to engage the mind? of Christ. And this morning, I'm just giving you my nine steps. Now, here's the deal. I have a lot more steps than this that I take, but these are the nine that I feel like are priority others. I literally have a list of like 10 other things. No, I'm not going to lie. I had five other things right on there. I'm like, I'm not going to go into these things, but here are the nine this morning. It's an inexhaustive list, right? And the reason I'm giving it to you is some of you need to engage the mind of Christ and never have. My, this, these Steps I'm going to give you are practical ways of things that you can just engage immediately to help you. If you have your own list that you would create, I think it'd be fun for you. Maybe you sit down your own self this week and say, if I had preached this sermon on Sunday, which I'm sure would a lot better than Steve's, right? What would be your nine steps to engage the mind of Christ? Because the reality is this, when you disciple people, which all of you should be doing, specifically people who are younger than you, not peers of yours, but people who are younger than you, you should be able to say, if they look at you and say, hey, how do I engage the mind of Christ? You should have already thought that out, have that written down, and know how to share it. If you want to disciple well, you need to be able to put into words how you flesh out your spiritual life for other people. That's what Jesus did. How do you pray? Let me give you the steps that I pray of how I pray. Right? That's what he did. So, again, that's all I'm doing this morning. Again, we'll dive, next week we'll be diving into Acts all the way through November. But I want to give you my nine practical steps that I engage with the mind of Christ this morning. Number one is this remind yourself regularly it's on the screen that you already have the mind of christ that was week one and week two and week three right we talk about the mind of christ you already have your mind of christ i literally tell myself all the time steve you have the mind of christ why do i tell myself that because i don't know about you but i have moments when i don't know what to do 
I have moments when I feel overwhelmed. I have moments where I'm really, really struggling trying to figure out what the Lord's will is. I have moments where I'm struggling with anxiety or despair, whatever it may be. And I'm able to, in that moment, notice that you have the mind of Christ. God has given it to you. You are a new creation. You've gone down into death. You've been raised to new life, right? It, humans seemingly by nature are fantastic at forgetting what they know. I know I have the mind of Christ, but how I live my life sometimes I forget. We say history is our greatest teacher in one breath. Another, say, another breath, we say history always repeats itself because human beings forget and we do things all over again. And my spiritual life, probably like many of you, seems to be marked very often by moments and seasons of great spiritual breakthrough. And then like the next day, seems to be marked by moments and seasons of great spiritual defeat. It is in those moments I seem to forget who Jesus is. I forget to see, forget who I am in Christ, and I forget that I'm a new creation. I forget that I have the mind of Christ. Can someone attest to experiencing life in the same way that I'm describing? Show of hands. So that everyone knows you're not alone. I forget. So I've started to remind myself all the time. Steve, when those moments come, right, when I sit here and I look at vintage in particular and go, it is hard to lead a church. I don't know what to do. I say, but God, you've given me the mind of Christ. I am empowered. I have the mind of Christ. I have access to wisdom. I have access to discernment. I have access to power over sin. Talking about sin, I'll never never forget one day, like many of you, I was wrestling with temptation. You know what that feels like. I felt the familiar gravitational pull. I felt the pressure. I had these, like, voices over here saying, hey, no one will know, and on and on and on. I felt a sense of, this is just too hard to say no to. You're going to give in. And I had this voice very specifically say, you are helpless. And I went, whoop, that, I've listened to everything else and entertained it, but that, I recognize that is not true. And I literally just spoke out loud, no, I have the mind of Christ. And it was like all of a sudden, I was like, I was pinpoint again on who I was in Christ and who Jesus was when I spoke the truth of Scripture over myself that I had the mind of Christ. And all of a sudden, the voices quieted. This pull that I felt was broken because I spoke the truth that Jesus had already empowered me by grace through his gift, the mind of Christ, to be successful in having victory over sin. I have to remind myself because I always forget. I am not helpless. Number two, then, ask God for discernment on the lies that you are believing. Ask God for discernment on the lies that you are believing. Again, I'll just be honest with you. You're not, I'm not as smart as we think we are. We're just not. You're not as capable at winning as you think that you are. It requires grace. We are only victorious by the cross of Jesus and the blood poured out, not my own doing and my own steps of righteousness. I cannot win in my own strength in anything. 
praise God that he's given me his spirit, right? I'm capable because of Jesus only. That's the nature of grace, right? But in this, then the enemy tries to steal truth and speaks lies over us. And as we begin to believe them, they plague our minds. Look for signs that point to lies. You have to be aware of the signs. Here's some of the signs, not exhaustive again. You have a thought that makes you feel isolated and alone. That is a lie of the enemy to plague your mind, to keep you from engaging the mind of Christ and knowing who you are. Second thought is you have a desire then to pull back from community. Listen, I can't, it's all, this happens all the time at Vintage from people I respect and I love who they're doing great because they're leading people in life and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose in their life and we don't see them for three months. Because the enemy has plagued them with the lie. It's just too hard to be in community. People don't really care enough. They're not going to, this is too much for them. You just need to handle this yourself. And that is always a lie of the enemy to plague us, to bring us into isolation. Because let me tell you, watch Gladiator the movie, right? Remember that one scene they go into the Colosseum and like what does name Maximus says, gather around, right? And they like get down and they stand together with their shields up. And that one random skinny ugly dude who peed himself that happened in the movie, right, is over here. And he goes, ah, and he gets shot by an arrow and dies. Don't be that guy who peed himself. Seriously, it's in the movie. You know what I'm talking about? Like the first time I saw that, I literally, that preaches. Oh my gosh, that preaches. Sorry, I not use the word Pete. I use it again, right? It happens. But it's like, I want you to remember isolation kills when the enemy desires to pull us away, right? It's for the purpose of killing, stealing, and destroying you. Maybe you have a feeling of feeling, a thought of feeling hopeless. And you get hopeless and everything just becomes dark and gray, right? Maybe you all of a sudden have this thought that you just start to get angry with your brother and sister in Christ and you all of a sudden don't like them. It's called disunity. The enemy is feeding you a spiritual lie that's plaguing your mind for the purpose of isolating to take you out. You have a thought that puts you at odds with someone else you were in relationship with. Or maybe you have a thought and a feeling of being less than somebody or being better than somebody. Both of these are a lie of the enemy. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just a beginning of thoughts for you to think about what are the lies that you believe. The signs are always things that produce the opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. If you're experiencing the opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if that's your primary thought process, then you recognize in this area there are lies the enemy is feeding you, and you need to become aware of them and ask God, say, God, would you awaken in me what these lies are in my own strength? I can't figure it out. By grace, help me. And highlight the lies in your life. Listen, so let's talk about one of my major lies that, I, that has kind of defined a good portion of my early life. When I was growing up, I struggled with the lie of rejection, a root of rejection, for it literally colored every aspect of my life from the dreaded years of middle school all the way up. 
right? Probably even spilled back in a little bit of my elementary school, right? I just lived with this thought of rejection. I struggled feeling lovable and loved. I struggled feeling wanted by anyone or anything and feeling known especially, right? And it started with my relationship with God. I knew theologically that he loved me because he had to, but I didn't believe he really liked me or if I had a choice that he would never choose to be around me. I always, again, knew theologically he loved me, but I felt like he would always prefer others as if I was low in importance on his totem pole of relationships. That's how I lived my life. I lived expecting to be rejected in every single relationship that I was in. You think I'm being dramatic. This literally crippled me all the way up into college, well into college. And in college, I began to have an awakening moment in my own life of of recognizing, wow, I I think I'm recognizing the lie of rejection in my life. I'd heard someone speak about the four these roots, right, these roots of bitterness and the roots of, of, uh, of, of, of rejection and going, I think I'm defined by a root of rejection. I think I sabotage every relationship I go into because I'm afraid of getting hurt, so I'll sabotage it in advance of them sabotaging and hurting me. So I'll just do it myself. And I would all of a sudden go, oh, this is crazy, right? So much time, this is you. Go into counseling and get prayer. Both of them work really, really great together in tandem, right? But I'm sitting there going, ah, so what did I do? I began to pray, and I took people who I didn't, like a couple of people who at least thought they have to be kind to me because they're leaders, right? And to come alongside of me, and I shared with them the struggle that I have, the root of rejection. And we just began to pray. And I began to meet with people, began to talk to people, began to pray. And so there's this whole work that's happening. I'm beginning to go, I've known the truth about the gospel my entire life and the good news of Jesus, that he actually loves me. He likes me. And to be the top and not the bottom, the head and not the tail. I think I am the tail, but I'm not by God's grace, right? I think I'm the top. And I didn't, like, I knew it, but I didn't live it out. You know what the difference of that? I can know something but not feel and experience it, right? And so I'm like, that is me with rejection. And so I began to pray. Then I began to, like, take authority over this. Say, no, by God's grace, I am not. Rejected by God. He actually loves me. I think I'm pretty lovable and people should like me by God's grace, right? And so I began to pray. And one night, and I've never forget, I was reading Song of Songs, chapter 4. If you read the whole chapter, it's a little bit awkward. It's super intimate, right? Yes, it's talking about marriages, but in this moment, God begins to speak. You know how you can just read devotionally, and God takes the verse and just speaks to you. And I read, and I've quoted it a hundred times at Vintage Song of Songs 4 9. You have made my heart. Beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. And God said, this is how I feel about you when you just glance at me. Imagine when you spend time with me and we are together how I feel. And it was like all of a sudden, it was like the, this lie of the enemy that had been like a massive, like one of those capital L, capital I, capital E lies that I had just lived in, actually defied. Listen, I just thought that's how people lived. And God broke it off. And I felt like I was God's favorite from that point forward. Because that's how I feel about my kids. They're both my favorite. I look at AK, you're my favorite, right in front of Sarah. And Sarah goes, I know, you're, you know, you know I'm your favorite. Like, it's right, right, right. This is this dynamic. It's beautiful. The fathers can do that. Parents can do that. We can have both of our kids, all of our kids be our favorite. I'm his favorite. Here's the deal. Do I still have moments of tension around rejection? 
absolutely. It's a familiar lie I can fall into, right? That happens. I get it. But in that familiarity, it happens far less today than it did 30 years ago when I became aware of this. Ask, you know, and you know why that happened? Because I asked God to give me discernment and awareness of the lies that I was believing. And I had community around me, which is point nine, just giving you a little heads up, to come alongside of me, the little community I did have to help me in the process. Number three, let's keep on going. Y'all having fun so far? So good. Number three, remind yourself all the time who, this is what I do. I'm just going to say this is exactly what I do. Remind yourself all the time who you belong to, how much you were loved, how near he is to you, and just how fully empowered you are. Acts chapter 1, he's given you his spirit. That's what we spent the last like 10 weeks focused on before we got to mind of Christ. Go back and listen to it. I think it was a pretty good teaching we did, right? You're empowered. It's beautiful. So I will literally just sit there. I cannot overstate how I cannot overstate how important this is to me. When I remember who God is to me, it settles me. It calms me. But primarily, listen, primarily it centers me. It centers me on truth. When I remember, it helps create perspective. So when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old, I read Psalm 42. You can put it on the screen for years now. And I find myself hitting low moments and I feel myself slipping. I quote Psalm 42, 5 through 7. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast, my mind, my will, and my emotions, right? My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Why did I read this? Why did I quote this over myself? One, because the psalmist is downcast, sad and depressed, like I can get in these moments, right? When I am feeling and I'm struggling and I'm feeling this disconnect. So I worship. I say, God, I remember who you are. I just celebrate that you are good and that you're kind and you're loving. I'm not experiencing it, but God, I remind myself of who you are and how good you are and how powerful you are. I remind myself and remember the cross of Jesus and what it was about and why it's for me. And look at my soul, you're downcast. So I will remember, I love this, this is from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, da, da, da. It's basically in everywhere that you've ever moved and everything that you've ever done for me. I will remember your exploits and your action and your activity in my life. And when I sit there and remind myself again and again and again and again of your goodness and your power and your nearness, it causes my soul to go, why are you downcast? Look who God is. And what it looks like, this is my expectation, that it's going to feel like a wave of God's presence and his spirit is breaking on the shore of my lies and crushing it. I'm not talking about Panama City waves, man. I'm talking about Hawaii when a storm's coming waves and they hit the ground and they crush things, right? I think about, listen, I don't think about little waterfall in my creek behind my house. No, I think of Niagara Falls and how it shaped 
everything underneath it, under the weight of the waterfall that crushes. That's the picture. That's what I imagine as I read this of God's goodness, and I remember him, and I worship him, and I praise him in the moment, right? Because I'm reminding myself of who I belong to, how much he loves me, how near he is to me, and just how fully empowered I am by him. Listen, I do this every day. I don't mean I sit down and have like a specified 905 time now to do this. I mean like you when, man, sometimes it's just better words than you can use in church, church on Sunday morning. But when all, oh man, when this breaks loose in your life, all hell breaks loose, man. This is one of those days. And I have them all the time just like you. I remind myself of these things. I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's become such a naturally ingrained part of who I am. It just flows from me because I live needy of Jesus every day. Number four. Listen, when Paul says celebrate your weakness, that's what I'm doing. I just recognize how weak I am and how incapable I am of ever reaching a place of breakthrough in my own power. Number four, celebrate the gospel of Jesus daily. Celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Never forget the gospel is God's ongoing power for salvation in our lives. The gospel saved us from our sin. The gospel saves us from the power of sin every day, right? The gospel means good news. The good news that Jesus came to earth. He died in your place. And then to show how much power he had, he was raised from the dead to show his power over sickness, death, and hell, and the work of the enemy. And so I look and go, so another way of saying that I look to the cross and the resurrection regularly and just say, I'm never going to forget that it was you who died. I didn't die, but it was your power that saved me. It was your cross. It was your resurrection. The gospel, that's good news. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to get good news every day than bad news. I love it's not just good news from 2,000 years ago. You celebrate. Listen, you take communion every Sunday. Why? Because it's to remember the good news of Jesus, because in remembering, it has the power once again to remind you of your inability to save yourself, but God's ability to save you. And if he saved you yesterday, he will save you today. And if he can save you today, he will save you tomorrow. It's only the power of the cross and his resurrection in you that gives you freedom and gives you life. So celebrate it. Remember it. Think about it. Ponder it. Meditate. Listen, have you ever sat back and literally meditated on the cross of Jesus? When I say meditate, don't go like weird, like whatever. Just like I focus all of my attention and I push everything out and I just am singly devoted to think about the cross of Jesus and what it means. If you sit there long enough, time will all of a sudden stop. Because you'll be so undone where you'll celebrate and you'll mourn all at the same time. Because it's so good and so powerful. So good, so powerful. Where am I? Celebrate the gospel. Number five, here we go. Take, uh, thank you, it's importing something new. I can't read what I have written down. Number five, what does it say? Take time to clean out your mind. There you go. 
Listen, Randall is a pescatarian, my wife, which means she doesn't eat meat, she eats fish. I know, I don't know why I married her either, just kidding. No, man, like her dad was, listen, I tell this all the time, she, her dad was literally the president of the Cattlemen's Association for the state of Georgia. I'm like, that's just sin, man, you didn't even love your dad, right? So anyway, no, just kidding. So she's a pescatarian, she only eats fish. I love it because I love fish too. So we've gotten in this season where we eat salmon at least like three nights a week, right? And so I take it, I cut it, I put olive oil on it, right? I put my sea salt on it, I got this Greek seasoning I love to put on fish. I take it out to my grill, I put it skin down for about five to seven minutes depending on how thick it is. Then I take it over and I put it on the meat side for two to three minutes to kind of sear that. Then I take it off and it's just heavenly, right? It's just heavenly, heavenly, heavenly. But everyone knows when you eat fish, it's not what you do on the front end, it's how you clean up, right? It's how you clean up, because if you don't take that fish, and you don't put it in something that's sealed when you put it in your trash can, what happens in two days? Your house reeks, and your cats and your dog are staring at your, your trash can, going, let me in, right? It's like, this is what happens. And so what happens in those moments when we don't do it well, what do we have to do? We have to clean out the trash can. We have to unload the trash can, right? That's just what you have to do. We'll have to wake up early, come out, walk into the kitchen, go, oh, my gosh, right, and take it out. This is what you do. You empty the trash can, and you put a new trash bag in. This is exactly what we have to do with our minds. You've read, you've read and heard the quote. I've quoted a thousand times here. David's thoughts uh, on this. Uh, we talked about in Psalm 139, to the end of the, of the Psalms, is search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Romans 12:2. Paul says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Listen, our minds are like sponges. Every day we are trying, whether we are trying to or not, we absorb the good, the bad, and the ugly of the world in which we live. And in absorbing the things we absorb, they impact us. They just do. The things you absorb, they impact you. The bad and the ugly, if not taken care of, will cause us to conform, right? And it will cause, listen, it will cause a fish-like stench in your lives. You will wake up one day and go, whoo, man, I've got to go empty my trash can today. I've got these thoughts that are rolling. I've got these actions I'm giving myself two minutes. This ain't good. It's not good. I have got to take out the trash, and I've got to allow the Holy Spirit then to put a new trash bag in me, right? I need to let him wash me and clean me and purify me. That's why Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I don't need to wash all of you. It's just your feet I need to wash because they're the ones every day that are stepping in the, in the goo and the mud of everything that you're walking every day. I just need to wash your feet. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. He comes Every day, we need to just wash out and clean our mind because there's a stench in us, because of the things that we absorb every day. We're then to take all those thoughts captive, right? Those stenchful thoughts we captive, and then we throw them out, right? It has become a practice of mine that when I spend time with Jesus, I will sit before him and be still, and I will allow him to search. I say, God, come and search me and know every unholy, sinful, and anxious thought or pattern of lifestyle that I've grabbed hold of, Lot, God. I don't want to grab hold of these. And, Lord, I pray that you would come then and take out the trash. I literally do this. I'm not going to say every day, but I do it all the time. 
God, this, this, what have I looked at? What have I given myself to? Right, with God's leadership leading me, I'm able to clean out my mind. You need to do it very, very regularly. Number six, embrace the mindset of Christ. I spoke about the mindset of Christ a couple of uh, two weeks ago, or excuse me, looking, last week, looking at Philippians chapter two, where we see that Jesus obviously had his own, had the mind of Christ. He was Jesus, right? But he also had a mindset. The actions that he gave himself to them were in accordance with what it meant to have the mind of Christ, right? The characteristics that find Jesus' entire worldview. It's defined primarily by humility and, and meekness, which is his power restrained for the purpose of redeeming others, a sense of compassion, right? Once I know the mindset of Jesus, the actions that I give myself to, that I'm able to look at every situation I step into and ask myself, as I step into this conversation, have I engaged the mindset of Jesus in this situation? I do this all the time. Before every meeting, my goal, I don't, I'm not perfect at this, but my goal every time I go into a meeting is to say, God, I want to express what you did in Philippians chapter 2. I want to be humble. I want to be deferential in this. I want to be sacrificial, and I want to be a servant in this conversation. It's a mindset of every conversation, of every action, of every thought process to see if my mind is marked by the mindset of Jesus. So in this, it's every meeting I go into, but I try to think through this now is just a natural piece of me in every conversation that I have with a believer or an unbeliever, someone I like or someone I dislike. Definitely in all of my counseling sessions, right? When I come in, I want to be curious and kind in all of my conversations. Listen, we had neighborhood hangout yesterday. Our neighbors invited us over to a pool party, 2.30, right? So I'm going over, going. Most of these people don't know Jesus. So, God, I'm going over today in the mindset of Christ, and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be convicted by who I am as a Christ follower, right? Conviction's important. I'm called to live a holy life among all people, right? The mindset that I give myself to. But, Lord, I want to be winsome for the gospel. Would you empower me to be Jesus now as I go over? Amen. Now, Let's play some volleyball, right? That's what happened yesterday. Everything that I, we won twice. So I just will say that. Anyway, so I will make a plan, right? <clears throat> That's the plan that I live by. I'm looking for my actions, conversations, thought process. Again, see, marked by the mindset of Jesus. If not, if I leave and recognize I failed, then I'll repent and ask for forgiveness. And I'll ask God, would you help me next time to do better, to grab hold of this? Just remind me of it, Jesus. Another way I think about all this is me reminding myself that I have a, this is my own personal, but I have a responsibility, listen, to think theologically at all times. To think theologically at all times. My theology, how I view God and how I believe he views me, is to define how I view every situation, every person, and every conversation that I'm in, but also in my worldview. So how I view politics coming into this election season is I don't think as an American first. I think as a Christian first. They don't go eye to eye. Jesus is not an American, right? He's not an American. Jesus is the kingdom. And so I love America. I think about America. But I think in how that contradicts as an American to the gospel and the kingdom of God, then this is subservient. And so as I step in, I think theologically, I sat down with one guy one time, 
And he said, hey, I'm about to go run for a U.S. House of Representatives seat. I want to sit down and talk with you about my platform. I said, great. I said, but just know when we sit down, I'm primarily thinking with a kingdom mindset and how I view my political platform. Are you okay with that? It's going to be a Jesus first mentality. He's like, fantastic. That's what I was hoping for. We went through every single one of them. It was really profound and powerful. I was able to feel in the moment as if I was being obedient to Jesus and how I was handling all of my views. That's what it means to think theologically. Number seven, be resolute about the mindset of Christ. Please do not walk away and go, oh my gosh, he's so woke. No, I'm just a kingdom of God guy, Jesus first, right? He trumps everything. This trumps everything. Okay. Number seven, be resolute about the mindset of Christ. Resolute means admirably personal. I just put this on the screen, sorry. To be resolute means admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. So it's one thing to say, I know the mind of Christ and to give myself to it. Another thing to be resolute about it. We must be determined and unwavering about the mindset of Christ. To not be resolute, listen, to not be resolute, to not be determined, to not be unwavering about the mindset of Christ means we're hypocrites. Means we're hypocrites. Those who say we believe one thing, yeah, I believe in humility and being deferential and servant-hearted and loving and sacrificial and kind as a mindset and lifestyle, and then I'm not as a lifestyle. I don't know about you, but I know lots of people who aren't Christians because of people like this. Paul, Paul speaks to this mindset. You can read it for yourself. It's overwhelming, actually, and powerful, very convicting. 1 Corinthians 9, when speaking about self-discipline and self-control, says that he disciplines his whole self. He keeps it under control so that he will not be disqualified. It's powerful language. Powerful language speaking to the resolute nature that define Paul's spiritual life. We must be resolute, unwavering, and determined in the life that we live in the spirit. I've just got two more. Number eight. Give yourself and everyone around you grace when you mess up. Which is important. Give yourself and everyone around you grace. We have the mind of Christ, but I'm sure like me, there's times when you fail engaging the mindset of Christ properly and you make a fool of yourself or you sin or do something you should not do, right? So, I look at myself and say, Steve, you can't be okay with that, but you don't crucify yourself either. Sanctification is a big theological word. simply means the process of becoming like Jesus is a journey into Christ's likeness. It is a process. I'll be honest, my favorite stories in Scripture is when the guys who hung out with Jesus every day, just look at the best of Jesus, I love it when they fail. That's terrible to say, right? Like, oh, my gosh, if Peter did that, whoo, that makes me I'm probably going to do it too, right? That gives me this sense of like, oh, man, that's super helpful. Sorry, Peter, you did, but thank you for my sake, right? In this one, giving ourselves grace, listen, this is super important. Grace is not giving ourselves liberty to sin, it's giving ourselves liberty to get back up when we sin and not fear that we aren't loved God by God anymore and we don't feel the need to then go earn his favor back. Right? This is their grace. When I sin, I'm like, God, I am, we repent. God, I am sorry. I turned from that. I ask for your forgiveness. And now, God, thank you that you love me. 
And last, number nine, and invite and welcome community to help. The mind of Christ, something we have, we grow in and help, need help maturing in. Right? Something we have, we're growing in, we need help maturing in. When I'm not, don't know about you, but when I'm not doing well in life, as in my mind is polluted by thoughts or fears, whatever, and I haven't allowed, to God, haven't allowed God to clean me out, and I start to stink, one of the first go-to emotions for me is anger and a short fuse and selfishness. I become very naturally apt to start defending myself, and because I'm a really good arguer, I usually win against people, and I think I win if I belittle them and put them underneath me. That's what happens. I've learned this about myself. I go there with my spouse. I go there with my children. I go there for people who I'm around and in meetings with. I want. I get into a season like I'm going in this to win and to be on top. And so when those moments happen, I recognize later after the fact that I'm stinking. So I was in one of those seasons. A lot of you know Scott Crawford, my best friends on staff for six or seven years here at Vintage. We were going fishing one day. It was one of those like 4.30 a.m. calls, and we're going and we're driving. And, and this guy cuts me off. I have one of these moments in the car. And Scott goes, wow, that was unnerving. And I made some sort of like crass statement in return to let him know I didn't care because I, da, 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 you know, I'm getting out one of those like man moments, right? And so... And so we just went through our day. We had a great day fishing, right? I beat Scott again, just to make that clear. But we were fish. But we're driving home on I-20 from Lake Oconee. And he says, hey, Steve, I need, to, I, need to, I need to talk to you about something. I was like, okay. And he goes, it's going it's to hurt. I'm like, okay. And he goes, but I need you to give me grace in advance because I've been really nervous to bring this up with you. And I'm like, Okay, Grace, you know. And he said, man, you're just being a jerk. And I'm really, really scared for you in the season that you're in with your anger and your disconnect and the way that you're treating people because I know the real Steve, and this is not you. And he teared up and started crying. And I immediately had two sides of me. You know what they are. Defend myself side. Justify myself side. Explain myself wise. Or the part that said, God, thank you. Because the wounds of a friend heal. Thank you for convicting me. And praise God by his grace, his ability, his power. I embrace this. And y'all, it was as if literally something lifted off of me. Because I surrendered and repented in my heart before the Lord in the moment. And I said, Scott, thank you for being a friend. I'm not sure what would have happened or who I would have snapped on or who I would have hurt if you had not been honest with me. You saved myself and you saved somebody else. Thank you. And we both cried together in the car. And then I reminded him that I just beat him in fishing and we laughed. Literally how it went down. I hope that was helpful. Thank you for the grace. This is going some practical steps this morning.
I encourage you to start reading Acts. If you haven't been, read all the way through to the end. We're going to look at the second half of Acts next week because we're not talking about this. We're going to kind of dive into the second half of Acts next week and kind of do some backstory. And then we'll go through like 10 or 11 weeks of Acts 1 through 7. Okay, so be, be reading through it and engaging it. should be fun. All right. Uh, I don't know what time it is. I can't see. What time is it? Somebody tell me. Okay, fantastic. So we're done for the morning. About the worship team to come forward. Uh, here's where we're going to end this morning. I invite you um, just to engage these things. Something something stuck out to you this morning from what I talked about. If you have time, just sit before the Lord and allow him to begin to speak a little bit more deeply into those things. Right? Does that make sense? Just if I talked about the anger piece, the rejection piece, then give God grace to kind of walk you down that path. Say, God, walk me down the path this morning. That really stuck with me. I don't know how to actually exactly apply it to my life, but I'm asking for wisdom and discernment. You've given me the mind of Christ. Begin to understand these things. Would you help me begin to grasp some of these? Two, we have ministry teams that are available. I named something. It was like trauma for you, or you just need prayer. Or you came this morning, just needed anything of breakthrough. Maybe and we were worshiping earlier, God spoke into something. We would just love to come alongside of you, love on you, and pray for you. If you want to come to the altar this morning, again, just lay some of these things at the feet of Jesus, right? Then do that this morning. I encourage all of you, if you have time, to take communion this morning. If you start running out of crackers, then Brad will get more. It's just how we roll, right? So come and take communion this morning. Just enjoy the reality of the gospel of Jesus being living and active and present and empowering you today. It was the power of God to save. It's the power of God to continue saving you, right? So celebrate it. Ask God to awaken it inside of you this morning, right? And whenever you need to go, you are on your own time. So we are officially done. I encourage you before you leave, offering baskets are here, right here in the back. And make sure you connect with April on the way out about small groups. But when you feel released from the Lord to go, that's when you can go. If you need to leave, then you are blessed to do that. Just pick up your kids on the way out. You guys have a great week. We love you very, very much. And uh, we will see you soon.